0: For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Amen. We're talking about faith working by love. This is our third lesson on that subject, and we've had difficulties just finishing our messages, but that's okay. We're going to continue, and we're going to talk a little bit about love, but first I'm going to kind of tie up some loose ends that I left from last week. In the book of James, chapter 1, look at verse 5 through 8. We'll have them listed there for you. It says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and abrades not. It shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing, notice the word nothing, wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive, notice the word receive, anything of the Lord. A double minded man is unstable in all his ways. In these verses of Scripture, we have a revelation of the fact that God is a giving God who gives to all men without fault-finding. He gives to all men constantly. He gives to all men liberally, bountifully, generously, as gracious as he could possibly be. So this is the kind of God that we serve. This is his character. He is constantly given. Then look in uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 84 and verse 11. It says, for the Lord God is. This is what he is. This is who he is. He is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Notice this, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So in these verses of Scripture, we discover that God is a giving God who gives abundantly to all men, liberally, and He doesn't upbraid or find fault with someone who asks. Constantly giving, but He says here, He is like the sun and a shield who gives grace and glory. He's not withholding anything from us. That's sometimes hard to process in our thinking, especially if something isn't working, but we have to think correctly, and the way to think correctly is to see what the Word says and declare it. So we see here that he gives constantly, abundantly, generously, bountifully, uh, finding no fault, without reservations, because he's a giving God, and he doesn't withhold anything from us. That would be good to say, wouldn't it? God's not holding with anything from me. Say that with me. God doesn't withhold anything from me. he's not. He's not withholding anything. He gave us Jesus. He gives us all things in Jesus, or in Christ. Well, look in uh, James chapter 1, and verse 17. James was correcting their theology. These people were thinking that they were being persecuted because God was causing them to go through all these hardships that they were experiencing in life. And James says, no, 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 no. God's not your problem here. You're in error. You're misled. You're, You're deceived. Okay, God's not the one who's behind the situation that you're going through. He's the problem solver, not the problem. And so he says here, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Why is he emphasizing that? He's letting the people know that he does not deviate from this not one bit. He is constantly giving, withholding nothing. He is generous in his giving. He is abundant and he gives to all men, all men. Not one is excluded. He gives to all men liberally. And every gift that he gives is perfect, a good and perfect gift. The two words they're just talking about, what he gives is perfect, and his motive behind giving it is perfect, and he does it for all people. Then in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, notice these two verses. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Why? Not because it wasn't God's will. For unto us was the gospel priest as well as unto them, but... The word preached did not profit or benefit them, not being mixed with what? With faith in them that heard it. So, in other words, faith has a lot to do with receiving from God. And James was saying this it's not God who's got to become a better giver, it's we who must become better receivers of what God has already given. And what God has already given to us is good and perfect, and it's all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so, It's up to us to work on our ability to receive from God the things He's already given to us. And that's really what faith is all about. And think about it. It begins with Jesus. Did you receive Jesus as your Savior? Or does God have to give Him to you? He gave Him already to you. He gave Him to me. And all we had to do was receive Him as our Savior. And you take that same line of thinking in every area of our lives. God gave us Jesus. God gave us healing. He gave us deliverance. He gave us victory. It's up to us to walk in what he's already given us. How do we do that? By faith. That's why faith should be a major subject of the Bible that we all should study as much as we possibly can. It's more important than reading your Bible from beginning to end and getting nothing out of it. So I read it from beginning to end. Great. But do you have faith to receive all that he has provided for you in this gospel? That's the big difference right there. We want reality with God. Do you want reality with God? The only thing that gives us reality is faith. By faith, I've made Jesus my my Lord and Savior. I knew about Jesus before I got faith to receive Jesus. And you know what? All I did was know about Him. But the moment I realized I could receive Him as my Savior and Lord, because I heard the word of faith preached, I made Him my Lord and Savior. I'm a whole lot better on this side of being saved than I was knowing about Him and not being saved. Aren't you glad that you've experienced salvation in Christ Jesus, your Lord? Amen. Okay, so... Once again, we see the gospel message itself does not benefit anyone who does not mix faith with it. So, in the book of Galatians, Ephesians, first of all, we took our scriptures from here, our foundational scriptures. Look at Ephesians 2, and this is from the Amplified Version. But God, so rich is he in mercy. God's rich. He's very wealthy in mercy. He doesn't need money. He's rich in mercy. Because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us. We should read that over and over again, shouldn't we? He wanted to satisfy his great, wonderful, intense love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings... In trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life which, with which he quickened him. For it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you do not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. And he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together giving us joint seating with Him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. What a time to shout, praise God. What a time to, to praise God. Think, why, my goodness. Can you imagine that? And what is He satisfying? His great love wherewith He loved you. His great love wherewith he loved me. This great, wonderful, intense love. He was so much in love with all humanity that he couldn't take it any longer. He said, son, go down there and restore the relationship. And Jesus said, all right. And he did. He wanted to satisfy his great love. So think about that. You see, you cannot have faith in someone who doesn't love you. If I don't know that someone loves me, I can't have faith in that person, can you? In order for me to have faith in God, I need to know how much He loves me. Because what does Galatians chapter six, or 5 and verse 6 say? Let's read it. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but what really benefits and profits us is this. Faith which worketh by love. Faith working by love. It was God's intense love that sent Jesus to the cross. It was God's intense love that moved Him to redeem us. That's what redemption is all about. Love in action. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Make it personal. No greater love there is than this, that Jesus laid down his life for me. He did this for me. He cares about me. You see, without a revelation of his redemptive love for me, faith becomes very difficult to obtain. Because you see, I don't really know he loves me that much. So I'm not going to have faith in him. I need to know that he loves me. Faith works by love. It's energized by love. It's expressed through love. And so when we know how much he loves us as an individual, it's easier to have faith in him and to trust him with our lives. Well, we have to have that that understanding of and revelation of his redeeming love. So let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at these verses and apply them to yourself. If it seems we are crazy, this is from the New Living Translation, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. This is Paul speaking. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task, this task of reconciling people to himself, to him. In these verses of scripture, we find out something that God is really revealing to us. He's not going to ask us to do something that he himself does not do. Have you ever wondered what God really thinks of you? Have you ever looked into a mirror and you saw yourself in that mirror? And maybe you identified some shortcomings, maybe some faults that you might have. Anybody here have a fault? Anybody here have a shortcoming? Anybody here ever did anything wrong since you've accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord? Sure, you can identify anything and everything that you've done wrong. And sometimes you see yourself that way. And how many of you know you've got someone who wants to point out all your flaws, faults? His name is... Lucifer, right? And so you look in that mirror and you see yourself and you see some of those things and he points them out to you and you can cower back and just think that this is the way God sees me because you see, he's an omniscient, all-knowing God. He knows everything about me. He knows all my shortcomings, all my faults, all my flaws. And if he sees me the way I see myself, I'm in trouble. I got some good news for you this morning. He doesn't see you that way. He does not see your flaws. He does not see your faults. He does not see these things that you failed at and highlight them. As a matter of fact, he said, I see you as my masterpiece. I see you as a work of outstanding quality, artistry, workmanship. I see you perfect in him, filtered through the blood of my son, of Jesus, That's how he sees you. And guess what? He said, I want you to start seeing yourself that way. And I want you to start seeing other people that way. When you see somebody else, that's how you see them. That's what Paul was saying. I don't know people after the flesh. I know them after the spirit. Because if they're in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become brand new. And that's for you and for all them as well. Have we ever mastered that? It's so easy to, as Jesus said, see the toothpick that's in someone's eye when we have a beam in our own. Isn't it easy to do that? Sure it is. He said, but look, I want you to start seeing people differently. I want you to see them in Christ. And Paul said, for doing that, some people said, you're mad. You're beside yourself. There's something wrong with you. Don't you see this? Don't you see that about that person? He says, really, I'm just seeing that they're in Christ. Does that mean we don't have character flaws? We all do. But he says, don't focus on that. Focus on who they are, who you are in Christ. It's going to do you a whole lot more and better. Okay? Well, if you wondered what he thinks of you, he thinks of you as someone who is so cleansed, so purified by the blood of his son that he invites you to sit with him in the high heavenly places And one day you're going to reign with him in the earth. He sees you complete in him, so much so that his Holy Spirit can actually come in and dwell in you. He sees you as his temple, where you're his dwelling place, where he can actually manifest his life in you. See, under the old covenant, that couldn't be achieved. Under the new covenant, that's who you are, that's who we are. And so I know it's difficult for us not to point out, you know, our shortcomings and all that. But God says, look, I want you to see yourself in Christ. And then I want you to start seeing other people in Christ. Now, I've used this psalm, Psalm 103 today. And if you believe that Psalm 91 is a psalm of protection, anybody here believe that? Do you pray it? Do you speak it? Do you declare it? Do you decree it? Well, this psalm is a psalm of provision. A psalm of provision. And we're going to use it today to point out some powerful things, some powerful truths about God's relationship with every one of us. Remember David said in Psalm 91, the psalm of protection, that he's always there to provide for us and protect us, to provide protection for us. But here, notice how he provides for us. And that means you as an individual and me as well. Look at Psalm 103. The first uh, five verses, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. These are provisions. God wants us to declare and decree some things. Why? Because the words we speak contain life or death. The words we speak are powerful. He says certain things to us so that we can echo those things, repeat those things that he says. Well, David is saying, Oh, all that is within me, don't forget any benefit of his. Bless his holy name. He's calling upon his soul. He was just as much human as we are. And in his day, he had a lot of emotional issues, just like any of us do here today. But you know what? He said, I'm telling my soul, I'm declaring to my soul, I'm decreeing to my soul, don't forget one of God's benefits. These are the benefits of God's redeeming love. He redeemed us by the blood of the lamb because he loved us so much with intense love, with wonderful love, with great love that he wanted us to make No, he wanted to make known to us how much he loves us. So what are the benefits? What's the provision? He forgives all our iniquities. All our iniquities. Don't forget it. Everything, whatever it is that we do, Aren't you glad that He forgives all of our iniquities? What a provision. 1 John 1.9. That's why I got so really frustrated when I heard some of these television preachers saying, 1 John 1.9 doesn't belong to the believer. That was what I call hyper grace. You don't have to confess your sin. No, you better confess your sin. You know why? It means you identify with the fact that you do have a shortcoming, but you said to the Lord, I know... I did something wrong, but I'm confessing my sin before your throne because you said at that throne I can obtain mercy. And so I'm I'm, I'm identifying myself with it so I could have cleansing by the blood of the Lamb. And so therefore, I'm not going to forget that you forgive all my sins. Secondly, you heal all my diseases. I know we live in a world right now with all this craziness that's gone on ever since COVID has taken place and, and all that. We understand people everywhere have been sorely challenged physically. Would you say you agree with that? Even more so than ever before. But you know what? God hasn't changed. His word hasn't changed. His word will never change. He heals all our diseases. What does he want me to do? Decree it, declare it, proclaim it? How many times do you say it throughout the course of a day? You forgive all my sins. You heal all my diseases. You made provision for me, for my sin, my shortcoming, my fault, my failure. And you made provision for me in my body. You heal all my diseases. Can we say this? Thank you, Father, thank you, Father. For forgiving my sins and healing my diseases. Oh, thank God. Declare it, decree it, proclaim it, hallelujah, and praise Him for it. David says, don't forget it. Keep it in the forefront of your mind that that's the God that we serve. And thirdly, He redeems our life from destruction. He redeems our lives from destruction. You talk about a provision. You and I were on the road to destruction. We were on the road to eternal separation from God. We were on the road to the lake of fire And brimstone where the worm dies not and the fire's never quenched. But David said, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And don't forget, you were on the road to destruction. But praise God, He's delivered you from that road by the blood of His Son. God wants us to not forget it and declare it and decree it. Why? Because it's only going to be real to you and me if we declare it, decree it, and let everybody know that we believe it, including the devil himself. And then the next one, he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. You talk about a crowning in our lives. I can just see him pouring out this this compassion. This is the compassion of God that we serve. Matthew 14, 14, Jesus was moved with compassion and he went about healing all their sick. So, are we lacking for compassion? Do we want someone to have compassion toward us and feel, you know, maybe what we're going through? be sympathetic toward our suffering, coupled with the desire to to alleviate it. He says, I am pouring out my compassion on you every day. Declare it and decree it. Shout it from the mountaintops. My God forgives my sins. My God heals my disease. My God's redeemed my life. And my God has poured out His compassion and love upon me. And I'm experiencing it right now. Praise God. You won't unless you declare it and decree it. And then He satisfies our mouth with good things, That our youth is renewed like the eagles. You talk about provision. He satisfies our mouth with good things. I believe there's a connection between the fountain of youth and our mouth. Think about it. How old are you? Forty. I'm over the hill. Really? Not too long ago. That was popular. Oh, you're over the hill. Really, if, if we're talking about, biblically speaking, if it's 120... That You should wait that until sixty 60. But still don't even declare it then. Now, what about this declaration? I am this day 85 years old, and my strength today is it was when it was then, both to go out to do battle and to do war. And my name is Caleb, so give me the mountain. Well, you strange person. Really? What we declare... Well, thou shalt decree a thing and it shall be established. You want to establish it in your life? It's like you're the king. You establish it. You decree it. You proclaim it. So therefore, I'm declaring it. I'm decreeing it. Praise God. God redeems my life from destruction. Crowd me with loving kindness and tender mercy and satisfy my mouth with the good things of his word so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. I know your body sometimes when you get up in the morning is tempted not to say that, but... Declare it, proclaim it. How many times have you said COVID has no power over my life? Do you say that daily? I, I, I you know, I've had it. I've had it, When I just say COVID. I'm delivered from COVID nineteen and its symptoms, and it will not in any way take authority over my life. We got to say it. We got to believe it. We got to speak it, we got to proclaim it, we got to decree it, and he says, don't forget it. And then someone looks at you and says, you're, you're crazy. Really? Let me tell you something right now. I'd rather be crazy for Jesus and align myself with him than anyone or anything else. Amen. If he said he bore my sickness and carried my pain, who am I to say he didn't? If he said he redeemed me from the curse of the law, which includes all sickness and disease, known unknown, name on name, written unwritten, who am I to say, no, he didn't do that? You say, but look at your body. Look what you're going through. That's not relevant. What's relevant is the fact that he said it. He did it. He made it known. I'm agreeing with him. And I will agree with him to the day I leave this planet. I agree with you. Not even my body. I'll call my body a liar. We walk by faith and not by sight, right? And then I'm expecting my body to line up with the word of God. Look at uh, verse 6. These first five verses reveal to us that God has provided for us everything that makes our lives richly, think about it, richly meaningful. These are meaningful things in life. Does anybody here enjoy being sick? Okay. Anyone enjoy just being downtrodden all, all day long? No one does. But you read those five things, and those five things, makes they make our lives meaningful, richly meaningful. And he's already provided us with all them. So David exhorted his soul to do what? Praise him for it. Look at verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. In the Old Testament, the oppressed, he's talking about widows. He's talking about orphans. He's talking about foreigners. Those that are really unable to even care for themselves. This is the compassionate God that we have, that we serve. He reaches out to those that are lowly. He reaches out to those that are in need. He reaches out to help those and to bless those that can't even do things for themselves. So his eye is always on every individual person, no matter who you are. Think about this. Throughout the course of this day, his eye is on me. His eye is on me right now. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what my weaknesses are, my sh- all this, my shortcomings and all that. But you know what? His eyes upon me. And I know his eye is upon me. And he cares for me. And if he's doing that to me, he says for me to do the same thing to other people. I should be concerned about the the widow, the orphan. The children, I should be concerned about those that are needy, those that can't do for themselves and reach out to them and help them any possible way that I can. He takes the side of the weak, the helpless, no matter who they are. And he gave us the example in the the Good Samaritan. When the Good Samaritan reached out to help this individual who was in need, who walked by him? A priest, a Levite. These people that should have been merciful and helpful to help these other people. And you know, sometimes that's the, that's the Christian world that we live in even today. People just want to go their way and do their own thing and just kind of walk away from other people that are in need and not help them. But God says, no, I want you to change that whole attitude. You want to walk with me? I want you to know something. I care about everybody. I care about every person, no matter who they are matter where they come from. The widow that had the mites that she threw in, I'm concerned about her well-being. And so he reaches out to, no, to all of us no matter what, no matter where we come from or what our background is, what our gender is, and whatever... And so, that's the kind of God that we serve, and that's how he is toward us. So, when you sit back and you hear yourself saying, God's not really caring about me, he's not concerned about what I'm going through, that's a lie that's coming straight from the pit. He has made it very clear to all of us. He knows what you're going through. You say, but he seems like he's so far away from me, that's because the enemy made us think that, and we said that. Even though we may feel that way, start singing the song. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. You're welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father of mercy and grace, you're welcome right here in this place. I am going to resist even the temptation to say that God doesn't care about me, God's not concerned about me, that God's not doesn't. He's not He's concerned about what I'm going through. You know what I'm going to say? Oh my, I'm the apple of his eye. I'm going to say that he cares about me so much it's beyond anything I can comprehend. I'm going to say that I'm going to bless him with all my soul and everything that's within me. Why? Because he poured himself out to death to prove his love for me. He's made these wonderful provisions for me. And all he's waiting for is for me to agree with what he did. And if I'll agree with what he did, you're going to sense his presence. You know, just last night, um, it was last night, yeah, Andrew started um, from Genesis. And he he said, Dad, I'm to Genesis chapter 8. I'm going to read the whole Bible. He said, you know, when I read Genesis chapter 8, and he said, I just had goosebumps all over me. I was in my room, by myself, read the 8th chapter of Genesis. He says, what is it when I get all those goosebumps around me when I read God's word? I said, well, that's just the presence of God. You're reading his word. You're showing him your heart and your desire to know him by studying the word. And he manifests himself. And when you're innocent like that, like you are, you know, that's that's God. That's God. Profoundly manifesting himself in a tangible way in your life, Andrew. And his goal is to read through the whole Bible. If it's one chapter a day, whatever it is, he said he's going to do it. So, anyhow, look at the, the New Living Translation of those same verses. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So no matter where you're at, no matter what you've been going through or how you've been mistreated in life, he wants you to know that he's reaching out to you and he cares about you. Uh, Psalm 103 and verse 8, we have a revelation of four wonderful attributes of God. Let's read them. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He is actually in another translation. The first is compassionate, gracious, patient and also plenteous in mercy. These are four attributes of God. aren't you glad that he's compassionate? You know what compassion is? He's sympathetic towards your suffering, but it's coupled with a yearning, burning desire to alleviate the suffering. Do you recall the story when paul i 'm sorry, when Peter was told by Jesus that Satan has come to sift you as wheat, Peter? Do you know that Satan's come to do the same thing to all of us to sift us all like wheat to find out what we're really made of what's really uh, of God in us, that's of faith in us, he's going to put us through a sifter. Things that are good will stay, and things that are bad will be sifted away. Well, guess what? He wants us to know this. I pray for Peter's faith not to fail. Faith in who? Faith in God. Faith in God's love, faith in God's compassion, faith in God's concern and care, in all of his provisions, and all that he did for us. Peter, he said, I'm praying for your faith not to fail. This is Jesus. Jesus could have said, I'm praying right now that the devil never touch you again. Wouldn't you love that? I'm praying right now that sickness never touch you again. And if Jesus prayed that, wouldn't that be great? I'm I'm telling you right now, you will never have a need in your life ever again, Peter. Because I'm praying for you. And you know, I'm the son of God. Raised from the dead, I have all authority and power And I'll tell him, Peter, hands off, Peter. You don't touch Peter anymore. Wouldn't that be great for all of us? Anybody want to stand in line for that one? We all would, right? But what did he say, Peter? I'm praying that your faith fail not. What a prayer that Jesus spread. I'm praying that your faith, Peter, fail not. See, those that say your faith has nothing to do with it, never read those verses in Luke. I'm praying that your faith fail not because you've got a devil that wants to come and steal kill and destroy his whole purpose his whole motive is to absolutely wreak havoc with your life and i'm praying for you peter well what's the prayer lord that your faith fail not don't cave in under the pressure to start agreeing with the enemy in the book of job we are told to acquaint ourselves with him agree with him submit to his will and great good will come to all of us isn't that wonderful thing to know Absolutely. So I'm not going to agree with you, devil. I'm agreeing with the Word of God. When the enemy tells you your life is not worth living, I'm telling you right now, you're the biggest liar that there ever was. Jesus made it very clear. You're the father of lies. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. My life is special, praise God, as far as he is concerned and as far as I'm concerned because you know what? He's the author of my life and he died for my life. Start declaring it. Start decreeing it by faith because he loves us so much. He made this available to all of us. But we've got to get with the program. God doesn't have to become a better giver. We've got to become a better receiver of what he's given. And what did he give us? Power and authority over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. And so when it comes to using our faith in the authority that we have, he gave it to us. It's up to us to take our place and start using the authority in the name of Jesus to destroy the works of the devil himself. And so Peter, he said, I'm praying that your faith fail not. So he is compassionate, he is gracious, he is patient, slow to anger, he's patient with us. Aren't you glad he's patient with you? The rest of you, do you want him to judge you right away? Aren't you glad he's patient with you? How many know he's been patient with you? You're glad that he is, right? And we all should have the same attitude. He is slow to anger. Thank God that he is. And he tells us to be the same way. But then also the last one, notice the last, he is merciful. That means he is full of mercy. And you know what? You study your Bible, you'll find out that there's inviting mercy. You're going to find out that there's uh, saving mercy, upholding mercy, consoling mercy. There's everlasting mercy. God's mercy is renewed every single morning. And why would he do that? Why would he renew his mercy every morning? Because he's dealing with me. Because he's dealing with you. That's why he renews it every day, because he knows. He knows. He knows our frame. He knows we're but dust. He knows all that about us. And so He renews our mercy, every, His mercy toward us every single morning because He knows we need it. And we need it big time. Look at verses 9 and 10. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. He will not constantly accuse us. Oh, thank you. Nor remain angry forever. Thank you. He doesn't punish us for our sins. Oh, glory to God. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Wow. What do you think about that? What's he saying to us? He tempers his wrath. He's quick to forgive. He doesn't point out our flaws. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't bring up our past failures. Aren't you glad he doesn't do that? Yeah. And mistakes that we make in life. Also, if you, you know, if you're in biology or anything like that, you, you probably know the name Richard Dawkins, right? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, a couple. He is a highly educated atheist. And he wrote the book called The God Delusion. And in that book, The God Delusion, basically he says believers are idiots, morons. Because you see, there's no intelligent design, as far as he's concerned, in God. It's all about the Big Bang Theory. It's all about intelligent design. It not, had nothing to do with God, does not believe in God at all. And writes about it. Is bold enough to write about it, okay? And highly, you know, lifted up in in, in that field in that round because of his education. How many know that God's not impressed with someone's education? <laughs> Anyhow, why am I saying this? Because God is patient. God is slow to anger. Compassionate. He lets the sun rise on the wicked and the good. He lets rain fall on the wicked and the good. He doesn't get nervous when somebody challenges his, his being. And he's, not, he's really not intimidated by any atheist whatsoever. But he knows this. Romans 2.4 says, It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Yeah. The goodness of God brings people into the kingdom. He continues to allow the sun to shine on him and the rain to fall on him because someday, some possible way, someone's going to come up and say to him, Mr. Dawkins, Jesus loves you. It's going to hit him square between the eyes. And he's going to melt before God. God's merciful. This is God who loves us. Who pours himself out in love to all of us. If he would be that way toward a person who absolutely rejects his, his being... His existence, how much more is he looking at every single one of us with compassionate eyes, slow to anger, merciful, kind. And look at the next one. Did we read that? Let's read that first. Oh, despi- or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing, what? That the goodness of God leads to repentance. I'm so glad that even when someone was trying to tell me you've got to be born again, and I called them a lunatic Jesus freak. I did. I did. I'm glad He didn't judge me right then. I'm glad He put up with me for another couple of years until I finally sunk into my thick skull that I had to be born again. Aren't you glad He did, he did that for you as well? Look at uh, verses 11 and 12 from the Living Translation. For His unfailing love toward those who fear Him is as great... Here it is. You might say, okay, we know that because of redemption... Greater love is no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And we know that's true. But look at this. As great as the height of the heavens above the earth, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Look at those two things he gives us to get a revelation in ourselves of his love for us. How great is his love? It's as high as the heavens are above the earth. I just went online just to see The farthest galaxy, how far we can see with the Hubble, you know, and all that, you can see as far as you can? Well, they say it's anywhere between 10 and 15 billion light years away. So traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, that's pretty quick, right? It's not as fast as some people drive, but it's... (laughs) No names here. (laughs) Would you call that fast? It would take 10 to 15 billion light years to get there. Traveling 186,000 miles per second is how much he loves you. It's as high as that. Wow. And then someone walks away and says, but he doesn't love me. He's probably going, does he have hair? (laughs) He knows the numbers of our (laughs) hairs. Okay, and then the last part is what? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, the east and west never meet. Keep on going east and keep on going west. And they never meet. Isn't that something? That no matter what we've done, when we confess it, it is never to be brought up again as far as he is concerned. It's as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's not holding us accountable because we've confessed it. It's not good to know he loves us that much. Look at the next. Verses 13 through 16. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender tender. Compassionate to those who fear him. He knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. Oh, my. He's a compassionate, loving Father who understands our frame. He understands our weaknesses. He understands that we were made from the dust of the earth. And he knows our life on this earth is just a passing time. That we're here for a short while, like James said, then you vanish away. But you know what? Even though that is true, he is compassionate like a father. And Jesus said he is, as far as he's concerned, more loving than any natural father can possibly be. Anybody here a good father to your children? We're not talking about evil parents that have no regard for their children and all that. We know that there are those that are out there. You a good father to your children? You can't compare to him. Jesus said, no. How much more will your Father in heaven give you? Good things give you the Holy Ghost. How much more than he'll meet your needs than a natural father would meet the needs of his children. Doesn't that speak to your heart? Doesn't that just bring things into uh, clarity? Wow. If you love me that much, see, the problem is not God giving to me, loving me, providing for me. No, it's me receiving what he's done for me. Starting with Jesus. And then finally, let's conclude with verses 17 and 18. His, His mercy. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. His mercy is what links us to eternity. In this side of heaven, we're ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But when we leave this realm because of his mercy, we enter into his everlasting mercies that endure forever. This psalm is revealing to us the fact that God cares about us so much that he has made such provision for us in all these important areas of our lives. He forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. He redeems our life from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies our mouth of good things. Our youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh, so bless the Lord, on oh, my soul and everything that is within me. Bless His holy name and declare it to be true in my life. Thank God. Thank God. He loves me more than my natural father loves me. He provides more than my natural father loves uh, provides for me. Why? Because He's God. He's unlimited. There are times when I've said to my children, it'd be great if I could just do everything in the world for you like... You know, give you everything. Give you a million dollars or whatever it is. Well, guess what? He can. He has the willingness and also he has the resources. We don't have the resources to do those things that we want to do for our children. But you know what he does? And the best thing I can give my children is to know Jesus. And introduce them to him. The lover of their souls. Trust him. I can only give an example of what it's like to love a child, but he's the one who really is the model that we follow. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful God. So this psalm tells us that God provides everything that we need to make our lives just richly meaningful as we live this side of heaven. And that if the devil tried to make us think that our lives are not important, Well, what you just heard today is letting you know you're of more value than many sparrows. And God wants us to start saying, decreeing, declaring these truths about ourselves. Let's all stand together for a moment and just.